I do hope you will look at the passage with me, 1 Peter 5, as we study this topic. I appreciate Jerry's prayer and Kyle's leading and Steve's uh, reading the scripture today and those who are going to participate, lead in the rest of our service today. Uh, I do want to say here at the outset with reference to this topic, you know, this applies to everybody here. There's going to be a lot in this passage about elders, about leadership, and I'm going to address these I hope in a way that's uh, faithful to what Peter's trying to teach us here. But this applies to everybody here, whether or not you're an elder or thinking about being an elder, or you know you'll never be an elder or whatever. And not just the part that, that we'll get to in a minute when it talks about submission, but uh, this is important for us as a church to think about. Uh, this isn't something flashy. This isn't something exciting when we talk about elders and followers. You know, this is... This is something that is crucial, though. Uh, I think all of us have been around long enough to know, as Jerry prayed, that a church that doesn't have strong leadership is a church that's not going to be healthy. And you know that even outside of the church. You know that in your organization, whatever it is that you do outside of this place, you know, in your job, in your school, or wherever it is, you know that if you don't have good leadership, then that organization, that, that entity is not going to function well. It's just the way that the world works. And it is of crucial importance for us to think about this as a church, um, as, we, as we look to the future, as we think about what this church is going to be, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, where's it going to be? A lot of that, a lot of that, that trajectory, that direction is determined by, by what we do now, by, by leadership now, by the way that we as a church function in healthy or unhealthy ways. Uh, and, and we've said this a lot over the past uh, few months, especially the last 18 months, last 20 months have been incredibly difficult for the world in so many ways. It's been hard for churches to know how to navigate. It's been hard for elderships to know how to lead during a, a time that none of them, none of us have ever seen before. And it's been hard for churches to know how we ought to behave, how, do we, how we ought to act. It's been a divisive time. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of anger in the world, you know, a lot of confusion. There's been, just been a lot of stuff going on. And so maybe it's an appropriate time for us at this point in our congregation's history to, to dive in a little bit more deeply on this text and think about what it means to us. You know, at this particular moment, as we, as we think, about, think about our church's history, going back to the 1960s, we think about the last couple of years uh, during a time of uncertainty and, and confusion, for us to think about what healthy leadership looks like and what healthy churches look like. And so we're going to study this for the next few minutes, and I hope that we will all prayerfully consider where we fit into this in some way, either by praying for and, and lending support to our, our elders, or perhaps there are people here in this congregation, and I pray and hope that there are uh, people in our congregation who one day will be appointed as shepherds in this church as we look to the future, because we're going to need, as you, as you know, we're going to need elders, we're going to need leaders moving ahead in the future. Uh, and so everybody can relate to this in some way, and I hope that you will think about that reflectively um, as we kind of go through this text together. So it's a very basic thing. This is, this is not really complicated. This, this text is not, not complicated. I, I do want to say just a couple words about the context here. We need to do that most of the time. Uh, the, you, most of you have been here for this series on First Peter. Not all of you have, though. We've got visitors here today. We've got folks who have been here maybe, maybe the last few weeks or whatever. 
And so just, just a word about this, not going to belabor the point, but First Peter's written to a group of Christians, to a group of churches who were struggling to find their identity in changing times. The world was becoming more hostile to Christianity at this time. They were starting to feel the, the heat of, of their culture that was, um, was making it difficult for them to be Christians, and they were starting to feel persecution. And, and so Peter writes this letter to them, in part at least, to help them navigate that. So they're trying to figure out, what they're going to do, how they're going to respond to this persecution. And so when you get to 1 Peter chapter 4, he's talking about suffering. We, we, did, we dealt with that last Sunday. He's talking about suffering. All right, Christians are starting to suffer. We applied that to this church in ways that we talk about persecution, but beyond that, maybe the principle is we experience suffering. What do we do during times of suffering? And then he quickly changes his emphasis, and he, and he addresses relational matters, um, relationships within the church, and he starts with leadership in verse 1 of chapter 5. Uh, when we think about churches, especially in the context of persecution, it's important to know, I think this is probably what's going on here with Peter, it's important to recognize that Peter is addressing elders because most likely the elders are going to be out in the front of this persecution thing. When persecution comes to a church, it generally is going to start at the top, so to speak. It's going to, top, it's going to start with elders. It's going to start with those in positions of, leaders, of leadership. And so when he says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. There's that imperative, that verb in verse 2 that he's, that he's getting to. Let's talk about this for a minute, all right? In fact, we'll spend more time here, more time on this first point than we will the other part, just because uh, that's where Peter gives his emphasis here when he's talking to elders. So look at this. Let's just look at the words here. Uh, I think this will be helpful in making sure we understand what Peter's doing. I exhort. Uh, Peter uses the word exhort uh, three times in this letter. It's, um, it can be a word that means simply, I encourage um, but it can have a, a little bit of a stronger meaning, like I, <clears throat> I, am, I am encouraging you strongly to do this. I, I don't know exactly how, maybe we get bogged down in the meanings of words a little bit too much sometimes, but uh, it does mean encourage, but, but just at least entertain the possibility that it means a little bit more than that. That he's not simply saying, I encourage you, you can do this or not do it, it's your choice. Or probably he means something more than that. I really, this is important for you guys to think about this right now, that you do what I'm about to tell you. I exhort the elders among you. Now, the word elder is a word, as you probably know, in the Greek text, that means older. And so sometimes it means that. That just, just means older. It means older people, older men in a, in a setting. It was used in the Old Testament to refer to people who are older, to men who are older usually. Uh, and so that, that can be what it means. But often in the New Testament, especially in a setting like this, it carries with it an office. It carries with it um, an implication of something more than just being older, but rather that these men have been set aside for a specific purpose. Yes, they are older. You don't appoint novices. You don't appoint those who are young to a position like this. They need to have years of maturity and years of experience and years of walking with the Lord in order for them to be qualified to serve in this way. So they are older, but it also carries with it this idea of, of, um, of being in a certain position of leadership, a, a position of being shepherds. And so you've got the noun here in verse 1. That's what one thing that they're called. They're called elders. Uh, sometimes they're, they're, another word is used 
and it means um, something like an, um, an overseer, carries a little bit more like authority in that word. But the other word that's used here is a verb, and that's in verse 2, and I'll get to that in just a second. That also implies something that they are to be and to do. So in verse 1 he says, I exhort the elders, I encourage you older men who are leaders in the church. And then he identifies with them. Notice carefully, a couple of things you might not have noticed here when you read this. As a fellow elder. Now, it's important that Peter words it like this. Because he could have simply said, I command you. This is the way Peter could have done it. I command you as an elder... Uh, or rather, I I command you as an apostle of Jesus Christ that you do this. That would carry a considerably different tone than what he uses here. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I command you as an apostle appointed by Jesus himself. I spent a lot of time with Jesus. I've got the authority to do this, and you better do what I'm asking you to do. That's not what he says. He doesn't say command. He says, I encourage or exhort. And he doesn't say, I am an apostle, though he could have said that here. He says it elsewhere, but he doesn't say it here. He simply says, I encourage my fellow elders. He says, I'm an elder like you. I'm one of you. I know what it's like to bear this burden. I know what it's like to carry this responsibility and this weight on my shoulders. I know what it's like. And so I'm I'm coming alongside you. You notice the tone there? I come alongside you, fellow elders, and I want to encourage you. I want to to just kind of prod you. I want to walk along with you. I am a fellow elder. And then he says, I've been a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's talking about the time that he spent with Jesus. He's talking about his observing the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, I am also, number three, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Might be a reference to the transfiguration. Remember that story in Matthew 17? Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John went upon the mountain. Jesus was transfigured before them. And that was, in some ways, a taste of what the final day is going to be like. Could be, a, could be a reference to that. More likely, I think it's a, it's a reference to the resurrection of Jesus. He's a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. And so he was, he was there when Jesus was resurrected, which was a, a bit of a foretaste of that final day when the Lord is going to come back and we're all going to be resurrected. So three things. I'm a fellow elder, not just an apostle. I can tell you to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm a fellow elder. I spent time with Jesus. I saw his sufferings. And I think the implication here is you guys are starting to suffer. Um, I have suffered. I was there with Jesus when he suffered. And then number three, we all do this because we recognize there's glory to come. So I'm a fellow elder. I am a partaker in suffering. And I am someone who anticipates the glory that is to be. And at the end of this text, you may remember at the end of this, he says, if you serve faithfully, you elders, you're going to receive glory at the end, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory in verse 4. So all this is kind of tying together. I saw the glory of the resurrection that anticipates the glory that is to be at the end of time. And it is the kind of glory that you guys are going to get. You're going to be a part of that. You're going to get this unfading crown of glory because of your faithful years of service as shepherds of the flock of God. And so he starts out with that kind of exhortation. And then he gets to the main part here, the main point, And that is the verb in verse 2. Shepherd or pastor uh, is this obviously is a word that means to take care of sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. Let's talk about shepherds for a minute. Uh, I won't stay here forever. You go to Psalm 23. We're not going to go there now. Uh, famous Psalm about the Lord is my shepherd. I think this there's a sense in which that that Psalm kind of overshadows any time the Bible talks about shepherding or shepherd, shepherds or sheep. 
Um, you could go to John 10 where Jesus talks about the, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd. There's that passage there where Jesus is talking about shepherding. It's a very important thing. Go back to the birth of Jesus and the shepherds who were present when Jesus was born. Here's one thing, though, I think you need to, you, you need to, maybe not in Churches of Christ as much as some other religious groups because we haven't, I don't think we've been as guilty of, of a mistake I'm going to mention here in a second. And, and that mistake being in some, religious, in some religious traditions, and this has kind of evolved over the past 2,000 years, that the word shepherd or pastor is kind of, has kind of gotten this connotation that's developed over a period of time where it, it kind of separates it from its original meaning. And it, it's like it carries this idea of somebody who's exalted, like I am a pastor, or I am the shepherd of the flock, or I'm one of the shepherds of the flock. It's kind of like this, in, in, in a lot of religious circles, it, it's kind of like um, somebody who's exalted and, and high and mighty and kind of gives orders from on high, you know, that sort of thing. And you, you may already know this, but that's, that's baggage that developed over many, many years of church history. Uh, that baggage wasn't here yet. This word, shepherd, in the day in which Peter used it, and certainly the day in which Jesus used it back earlier, uh, was a word that, here's the way one, one uh, commentary put it when I was reading it this week. He said, this is an earthy image, an earthy image. Shepherds were earthy people. They were of the earth. You know, they spent time with the sheep. I think we talked about this last year, maybe around Christmas time, thinking about the story of the birth of Jesus, and the, or at least we have done this in the past couple of years. So you may remember this, but when, when, when shepherds were given this great honor of being present, you know, around the birth of Jesus, that was an incredible thing because the shepherds were considered... They were, they were lower class. You know, they were, they were the people who worked out there with the sheep, and yet they were given this great honor at the birth of Jesus. So when Peter uses this verb, to pastor or to shepherd, it's translated in some translations in Acts 20 where the word feed, it is an earthy verb. It is a, this is a common thing. Everybody knew what it meant to shepherd. Peter is using it to apply to the work of elders. Now, this is not, by the way, I don't, I don't mean this, and Peter did not mean this in any kind of a way that like denigrates the work of elders. But it's just important for, for us to understand that when he says to shepherd, he is, he is using a, a word that they understood very well. They had seen this. These shepherds took care of the sheep. A very normal thing. They were among the sheep. They lived with the sheep. They were of the sheep, they were of the earth, they were common people doing common tasks. And so when he says that elders are to shepherd, it's an earthy thing. It is, a, it is not a high and mighty thing. It is a of the flock thing. That's the idea here with the word shepherd. And, and obviously, which we'll get to this more in just a second, but it means, um, you know, a shepherd leads the best way that sheep are cared for is for a shepherd or shepherds to be in front, to be leading, and to be caring for and to making sure that needs are provided. That's the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, our shepherds, shepherds in any congregation, are not going to be 
Again, Jerry prayed this in his prayer. They're not going to be the chief shepherd because they are flawed. That's our nature, right? But they have the chief shepherd, the great shepherd as their, as their model, and they seek to follow in the way that he has led them. And so look, look further in our text. Shepherd the flock of God. I want you to notice um, there's an emphasis here that you may not have picked up on. Very much of an emphasis here on God. Notice this, shepherd the flock of God. Notice um, Peter is subtly pointing out this is stewardship, not ownership. I think we all ought to be careful not to use expressions, though I think we do it harmlessly or innocently at times, to talk about like my church or uh, like this is my church. Um, An elder would never speak of this being his church I would never speak of this as a minister of being my church, you know. And, and Peter is very careful here to use this kind of language that a shepherd needs to remember that this church is not his. It is not even the collective eldership's church. It is the Lord's church. It is God's church. It's the flock of God. And that's the way, really, we ought to be careful about using the name Church of Christ, not in a sense of um, like separating one denomination from another, but rather of it being possessive. And that's the way it was originally used in the New Testament, the churches of Christ, the churches that belong to Christ, you know, that, that kind of language here. So he uses it here, God's flock, God's flock, Jesus' flock, it's his church. And so the shepherds in our congregation are men who work under the oversight of the chief shepherd, and they do so in taking care of the church that God has, has let them be stewards of for a few years. You know, that, that kind of language here. Stewardship, not ownership. There's a second thing here. Look what he says. Um, we'll skip over. We'll come back to some of this in a second. But verse, uh, verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And so it's God's flock that they are to shepherd according to God's will. There's an emphasis here. Notice this throughout. Peter says, focus on God. It's his church, not yours. Remember that, it's, it's, it's God's church. And then he says, you, uh, you shepherd this church as God would have you. So you shepherd God's flock according to God's will. It's an emphasis here on doing it the way that God had intended for you to do with a view toward the glory of God. Look at verse four. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You, this glory that comes from God. And so it's God's church led according to God's will with a view toward God's glory. There's this God focus throughout. And that is a, a reminder, I think, for any leader in the church to remember, this is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about my glory. Not about what I want. It's not about what, you know, it's not, this, is, this isn't mine. But I am steward. Our elders are stewards for a few years to take care of the flock of God according to the will of God, to the glory of God. Just having this God focus is, uh, is important, I think, for anybody who's involved in any kind of church leadership. Look at verse 2 as well. He says, um, motivation is pretty important here, according to Peter. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. <coughs> exercising oversight. Um, and then he, he says, he gets into the, to, to the way this is done in the rest of that verse on the next one. He uses three expressions here, okay? So he's talking about God's flock, you know, God's will, God's glory. 
He's used in verse 1 three descriptions of himself. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I'm a partaker of the glory. So Peter's using this repetition of three. Describes himself in three ways. He uses the idea of God three times. And now he describes their motivation in three ways. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Don't do it because you're forced to do it. You do it willingly, as God would have you. He says at the end of verse 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That shameful gain could be, it seems as, and, and, and this happens in some churches today, not as much, I think, as it did in the New Testament, but shepherds were supported financially. Elders were supported financially by the local church, and so there could be a monetary kind of motivation for some shepherds to serve in that way. Or it could be something else, uh, not for shameful gain. It could be for the gain of, 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 of prominence, the gain of, of power, because you want to be in power, or you want the praise of others, or you want to be in a position of prominence or whatever. And, and Peter says, you don't do it for what you're going to get, but rather you do it eagerly, not because of what you're going to get, because of the way, but rather because of the way that you might serve. And in verse 3, he talks about how it is to be done, not domineering. Now, he's used this expression back up in verse 2, exercising oversight. But in verse 3, he says, not domineering over those in your charge. Now, he's getting back to his earthy image of being a shepherd. So what is a shepherd? <clears throat> Sometimes it happens whenever any of us get in positions of authority or positions of prominence or whatever, that the, the power idea can get into our hearts. The control. I want to be, we want to be in control. I want, I want things to go the way that I want them to. None of us are immune to that. But Peter is urging elders to remember that your role is characterized most clearly and most beautifully by that of a shepherd, a kind and gentle shepherd who is in front of the flock, who is setting the example, not merely, not especially saying, do this and do that and don't do that, but rather a shepherd who is saying to the flock, follow me, live as I live. The attitudes that I have, you display those attitudes as well. And so it's this idea of shepherds who are imitating the chief shepherd and they're turning to those who are following them and saying, imitate me, follow me, as I follow the example of the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. That's the idea. Not one of domineering, of this this kind of, uh, I don't know, chief seat sort of thing. I get to decide what happens. I get to make decisions. I get to exercise power and I get to be in control. But rather, remember, the focus is on God's flock according to God's will for God's glory. And when you've got that mentality, then it becomes not about self, but rather it is about what God would want us to do in taking care of God's church. It's, it's a, it's, I mean, this is a, just a basic biblical following Jesus sort of principle, isn't it? It's about serving. The model of leadership in the eldership is one of serving, of setting examples to the flock, of leading. That's the primary way that shepherds are going to lead, that elders are going to lead a church, is by the lives that they live, the words that they say, the attitudes they display. It is an example, and it is a leading thing. It doesn't mean, and other passages would teach this, and the exercising oversight phrase up in verse 2 
I also carry with it the idea that the elders do have authority as an eldership as they follow Christ, but their primary way of leading is not through exercising authority, but it is through a beautiful Christ-centered example. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, there is a sense in which all of us are going to get that crown of glory, right? I mean, Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy 4. We look forward to that crown of glory. But there's this passage. There's, there are other passages as well that imply that those who serve faithfully and sacrificially as elders are going to receive a special crown. That crown of glory that will be given to those who have served selflessly in this role of leadership and shepherding. And I suspect that that crown of glory, anticipating that, is one of the reasons, one of the things that keeps elders going when it really gets hard. Knowing that God will bless them for their faithfulness and that when they arrive at the throne of Jesus, they will receive that unfading crown of glory. What a beautiful thing that is and how well-deserved it is for those who serve in such a sacrificial way in leading, uh, especially during difficult times. He changes his attention, does this briefly. You know, verses 1 through 4, this is mostly about elders, but he doesn't want this opportunity to pass without talking to the younger. There's some debate here, by the way, when he says... Um, verse 5, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, some of you in this room probably wouldn't be characterized as younger, right? And you're not an elder. You're not an elder in the official sense. So is he saying that you don't need to submit? It's just to those in this church who are younger. And of course, that's not what Peter's saying. I think probably what he's doing here is that in churches, generally speaking, those who are most likely to rebel against the leadership of elders are those who are younger. Uh, and there's a, a, a spirit of, sometimes among the young, there's a spirit of, well, I could do better, you know, and I don't like that, and, and I, I, I want to do it my own way. And so he turns his attention to the younger. And it may be that something that was going on in the, these churches that Peter's addressing specifically, you younger people, remember, you know, God put them in this position, and you need to submit to them. But I think the principle here, we see this elsewhere, the principle here applies to all of us, whether we're younger or older, all of us in a church who are living and working under the oversight of our eldership, that we, whether young or old, are to be subject to the elders. He says, clothe yourselves. I'll get there in just a second. But, but we are to we are be subject to the elders. So let's think about this for a minute. What does that mean to us as, church, as a church? It obviously does not mean that if our elders lead us in a way that is unscriptural, we submit to that. We don't do that. If they were to lead us away from Christ, if they were to lose their focus and they lead us in a direction that is unhealthy spiritually, that violates the Word of God, we don't submit to them in that way. Obviously, Peter's not talking about that. Um, he is saying to us, he's commanding us, he's encouraging us as Christians that we be subject to our elders when they lead us in the examples that they set and the direction that they set for our congregation. Probably a pretty good time for us to think about this, you know. As I mentioned earlier, last, uh, last year and a half been pretty rough. It's been hard for elders to be elders. It's been hard for leaders to be leaders. And um, I, th I think probably a pretty good question for all of us to ask, all of us to ask is, as 
the past couple of years have unfolded, have we, have you, have I been subject to our elders? Have we submitted to their leadership? Because these words are especially important in difficult times, you know, especially important in difficult times. Because it is not hard, this, this works in any relationship, it is not hard to be subject when everything goes the way we want. It is particularly difficult to be subject to submit when things aren't going the way that I want or the way that we want. And so probably a good, a good time for all of us in this church to ask ourselves, how have I, have we been subject in recent days? Asking ourselves, have we done what God called us to do? Have we been what God called us to be toward our elders in the last couple of years? But no, it doesn't just apply to the last couple of years, but I think this is a good time for us as a church to be reflective. If it's not a matter of right or wrong, if it's not a matter of, of, of some the scripture says this or says that, then we ought to submit and we ought to be subject to the leadership of our elders. Seems to me pretty clear what Peter's saying here. The last point that he says is he speaks to everybody. So he's addressed the younger, be subject, but I think the principle there applies beyond that. But then he does address everybody in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Probably most of us could stand a dose of humility. You know? Clothe yourselves. Metaphor used a lot in the Bible. It's a strong one. Uh, it doesn't just say be humble. He says get dressed up in humility. Take off the garments of pride, of selfishness, of self-will. Take that stuff off and put on yourself the garment of humility. It's a strong, strong. Be dressed up in it. Be clothed in it. Let this define you. Be clothed, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward not just the elders, but he's now talking to all of us as we relate to one another. I'm not going to say a lot about that because next Sunday as we finish, we will get to verse 6 where he says, humble yourselves. He's going to continue that idea and we'll spend more time talking about it then. But the last, the quotation in verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we have relationships in the church, the thing that ought to dominate our engagement, our interactions, is humility. You know? Like I'm not right all the time. Elders aren't going to be right all the time. But when we engage one another, it ought to be characterized by submission and humility, of serving, of of, of wanting to get along and wanting to do right and wanting to work hand in hand and wanting, uh, wanting there to be peace and unity and tranquility and just this, um, this, this, this join together, let's join together and do good. Even when there are going to be times when we don't see eye to eye on things, let's, let's work together and let's do what is right. Peter is talking about leadership and followership talking to us as a church. So I hope that, you know, we, this, is, this is one of those lessons that is, is pretty much focused on the local church, you know. It's talking about elders. It's talking about us as members. Um, and so it doesn't lend itself to some sort of evangelistic emphasis. But, but even, in, even in something like this, there's that forward, that, that forward focus, you know, that, uh, that look to the, to the end. 
Because he says, he refers to that crown of glory, and he refers to being a part of the sufferings of Jesus, and he alludes to the fact that we are joining in with the Lord in his glory. And so let me conclude this by saying this. The reason we want the church to function in healthy ways is so that you and I can grow in our faith. And if you're not a Christian here today, the reason it's important for us to talk about stuff like this is because we want the church to be healthy. You know, we want it to be healthy. God wants it to be healthy. He wants us to relate well to one another. He wants this church to succeed and to do good and to bless the community and save the lost and just do good to bring glory to Him. And so that's why we talk about stuff like this. If you're not a Christian and you want to be a part of God's family, it's His. You know, this isn't, this isn't our church here. This is Jesus' church. This is God's church here. We'd love for you to be a part of it. What that means is having a relationship with Jesus characterized by submission and humility and obedience. And maybe you need to come today to confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized into Jesus, into the flock, into the body for the forgiveness of your sins. God will add you to that. He will save you. He'll walk with you. He'll bless you. He will be your shepherd. We invite you today on his behalf. Uh, maybe some of you need to ask for prayers. Um, just, just to say to God today, you can do this privately perhaps, but maybe it's been your, your, your unfaithfulness, your, your lack of commitment to Christ has been something where you've, you've forsaken the church. We'd love for you to come home today. Let's stand. Let's sing this song.